Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Guido Talks. Uh, don't forget, if you prefer to listen rather than watch this podcast, then you can find out how by searching Guido Talks on your favourite podcast app or find out how on the Guido Talks website where we'll show you all the handy links to access it. My name's Tom Harwood and again I'm joined today by Guido Fawkes founder and editor Paul Staines along with reporter Christian Calgi. Now uh, Paul is coming to us today from the bottom <laughs> of his garden in an attempt to seek better internet connection, is that right? Yes, so all of you who are complaining about the quality of uh, my audio microphone it's not my microphone. We have uh, a variety of microphones. It's my 4G connection. I live in rural Ireland. This is my back garden. Over my uh, left shoulder, you can probably see a bit of the beach. But uh, this is the part of the garden which gets the best reception. And it's also just started spitting with rain. And my dog is looking at me, wondering what the hell I'm doing here. And I'm questioning it too. I'm looking we do forward for a good to user experience. <laughs> looking forward to seeing if it chucks it down later on and what we do in this podcast i'm looking forward to the soldiering on just as it gets wetter and wetter um, anyway uh this is the show where we talk about our favorite stories and the most poignant ones from the last seven days on the guido Fawkes website and the biggest story potentially of the week kicked off uh on thursday afternoon and it has something to do with the shadow cabinet i think you can probably guess where we're going but christian please do explain this story to us now yes yesterday afternoon uh the uh temporary internal labor ceasefire between the corbynites and the moderates came to a shuddering halt uh, when rebecca long bailey was uh, sacked on the spot effectively by uh, Keir Starmer for uh, sharing and endorsing uh, an independent interview with the actress Maxine Peake, who within the article uh, claims that the tactics used by the American police in the killing of George Floyd were learnt from seminars with the Israeli secret services. Um, she shared the article earlier on in the day she tried explaining herself um, an hour or two later. No one was buying it. And as part of his no-nonsense approach to anti-Semitism, Sakia called her in, seemingly didn't let her explain herself and just went, you're off. So now we have a vacant uh, shadow education spot. And, you know, the, the biggest true Corbynite presence in the shadow cabinet is, is, um, is on the back benches with her former boss. I, sort of I think get he the gave her a chance here. to he gave her a chance to delete the tweet, and uh, she didn't. So it seemed like a, a, a strategic error for the Corbynites to, you know, fight to the death in the anti-Semitism ditch. That's not the ground you'd have thought it'd be wise for them to fight on, but they did it again, which just shows they're just blind on the subject. You know, they even even if you're being generous towards them, saying they're not. Uh, genuinely anti-Semitic, they just have a horrendous blind spot on all issues to do with Israel and the Jewish community. Yeah, it's and not they like went they haven't been the... repeatedly told about this. I mean, Rebecca Long-Bailey ran a leadership campaign where this was one of the most persistent questions coming up, being seen as that continuity Corbyn candidate. Uh, people continually asking about her. I don't know how many times she will have 
gone through training on these specific issues, being able to spot anti-Semitic tropes and all of the like. There's no way to hide through pleading ignorance here because the, the amount that this has been focused on for the last three years should surely, you'd surely think that she'd know exactly what she was doing. So tiring, had, the whole subject. She had the worst people in the world defending her because you look at the um, Trots app, that sort of far left group of uh, Mementoites and uh, other left wing activists and uh, opinion writers. And I mean, they were really saying that this wasn't anti Semitic. Uh, you know, this is effectively a trope which says Jewish people in Israel control the world. And they can't see that for anti-Semitism. And they go into a meeting this morning with Jeremy Corbyn. They don't talk about the ins and outs of the issue. They go in and apparently talk about Israel's annexation of Palestine. And I mean, you're, you're going on to that topic. Uh, I mean, their ability to bring up Israel in any circumstance and not realise that it is, <laughs> it is anti-Semitic. If they've not learned now, they're never going to. And the best place for them is gagged on the back bench. And whilst, however, it's very important to recognise the anti-Semitism context here, I think there's something deeper going on as well. Because I think that it's not very likely in any event, even if this didn't happen on Thursday, uh, that Rebecca Long-Bailey, she, she probably wouldn't continue in that role for the full four years of this parliament. I think Keir Starmer was almost looking for a way to squeeze out that Corbyn tendency in the shadow cabinet. And that, that uh, purge that really is going on, I that, think, was always going to go on. And that creates a very observer, interesting dynamic. The Observer was between... reporting on the weekend that the Observer report said, one of the commentators said that Starmer was looking for a clause for moment. I didn't realise his clause for a moment would be getting rid of the only person who believed in bringing back clause for from the shadow cabinet. But I mean, I think he'll take his chances and they'll all be seeing things can only get better uh, for this. And generally, the, the left leading press is quite happy about it. But apart from uh, the Trotsap crowd. Well, I think there are a few people in that shadow cabinet who are still um, on the side of Corbyn or were seen as close to Corbyn, but obviously very, very few. And I think that there's an interesting dynamic here because, of course, the socialist campaign group of MPs, that sort of um, group, it's, it's, it's around 40 large now. It's the largest it has been in Parliament in many many decades. And so it's interesting that the leadership of the Labour Party is now more of the sort of Milibandite soft left uh, position. And yet the parliamentary party is further to the left than it has been in a very long time. The individual MPs will now, I think, be a bit more bold in challenging Keir Starmer's leadership. And we've seen a lot of them say that he's made an error here, that Rebecca Long-Bailey should be put back. And I think that tension is rising. And we're going to see that develop in the coming days and weeks. And the other problem, of course, is that a lot of the real sort of frothing at the mouth Corbynistas that are now in the Parliamentary Labour Party are the youngest, newest MPs because they were the children of Corbyn who managed to get elected in these safe Labour seats when many of their uh, otherwise would-be colleagues were losing theirs. And so they're going to be around for quite a long time and it, it might be quite funny to see in 
50 or 60 years, you know, the likes of Nadia Whittam and Zara Sultana in the position that Diane Abbott is now, still relegated, still irrelevant, but still shouting the nonsense from the back benches. We haven't uh, said who's going to take over. Um, no, we haven't. We person, haven't. Well, if, if, if I had my way, and uh, Starmer really wanted to hammer it home to the opposition, uh, to the internal opposition, put in an ultra Blairite like Lord Adonis, that would get them going, wouldn't it? You know, remain a Blairite. Uh, that would really be... Actually, he's, he did some really great things when he was in government. Uh, he did the... He pushed the Academy's policy through for Blair, which did undeniably improve the life chances of, you know, underprivileged children. Yeah, and I think that that's probably one of the reasons why he's not going to be picked. Uh, we did a runners and riders on Friday morning of who are the likely candidates. And I think probably the most likely person at the moment is Emma Hardy, who is, uh, has been a Labour MP since 2017. She was briefly a primary school teacher and then went on to be a full-time union staffer working for the NUT, as it was called back then. Um, and she's currently a shadow education minister. So it's, it's, if he wants to play it safe, he'll probably promote Emma Hardy. But there are a few other shadow education ministers. There's Toby Pershing. Is she the, is she the one that... Is she the one that listened in to uh, the, that told stories to the tabloids about Colleen Rooney? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, we can edit that one out. Uh, no, that's, that's, we're keeping that in. That's, uh, that's almost... Uh, you know, anyway, it doesn't really matter because by the time this is out, Starmer will have appointed his, his replacement and we're all going to look stupid anyway. So that's true. I would I'm be wary of making predictions. Do you know what? Do you know what? We could just rattle through the few Labour MPs that there are in the House of Commons. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then just and then just cut it in retrospectively, so we are right. Say all the names. That's that's the advantage of having the smallest parliamentary Labour Party since 1935. Um, but no, we should probably move on from this story because we've been lingering on it for a while. Um, there's another story that did uh, lead headlines, even though it seems like a bit of a sideshow, and this is that Bojo Jet and its swanky new paint job. And it caused a little bit of controversy online. And Paul, do you think you could take us through yeah. the ins and outs of that? So one of our readers, a co-conspirator, was sat in a field spotting planes and spotted the tail fin of the uh, Boris's new plane and um, sent it in and we ran the story. And immediately after we ran it, uh, readers in the comments below the story said, the flag is upside down. And, and uh, not knowing much about this kind of subject, I, we looked it up on uh, uh, various websites and thought, yeah, the flag does look like it's upside down, which is a traditional signal of distress. So I called up um, Downing Street and said, um, I think the flag's upside down. They said, no, no. And then, then it went a bit quiet. And uh, my contact at the other end said, just for the record, I didn't paint the plane. So, and then about... <laughs> And then about four hours later, they got back with this explanation that it's tradition in the Navy and the air, aircraft have followed the same tradition, that the, the craft is the flagpole, so to speak. And if you look at uh, Mitterrand's jet or President Trump's jet, it's, it's flying off the back of the fin as if the, the, uh, the craft the is the flagpole. Yeah. Mm. 
So yeah, it's, it's, it's as if on no. one side it will look correct, and on the other side it will be the inverse, almost like you're looking at it from behind, if it were a real We had this whole flag. discussion and we got confused. Suffice to say, it is not upside down. But <laughs> Remainer Twitter is loving this and going on and on. And Remainers and Cybernet are saying for £900,000 they paint the flag upside down. No, it's not upside down, although that is a new fact I have learned this week. <laughs> Who would have thought that the Remainers are going to be dragged into a false conspiracy theory? It's not like they do that sort of thing all of the time. Um, but no, I think that's probably enough time talking about the Jets because we've now spoken for it for the last few episodes, I think. I mean, it's <laughs> remarkable the amount of time that we're, that we're talking about something that's relatively minor in the grand scheme of all of the politics that's going on. Um, and one of the big things that was that was happening, um, that has been happening over the last few weeks and continuing to happen, there are of course tensions between um, communities in London particularly and the police. And it was interesting to see this week that the Labour front bench is resisting sort of pressure from below and particularly pressure from the group that purport to represent the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK who call for defunding the police and actually the BLM UK or I think it's UK BLM uh, campaign calls for abolishing the police entirely. Now the Labour front bench has resisted that call. They're very happy to sort of take the knee and uh, say that they're listening and following to those those voices on the protest. But then when it comes to actually policy, it doesn't look like they're following through because they called for the protection of police funding, uh, completely contradictory to the calls from that group of Black Lives Matter protesters to defund the police. So at least from the shadow cabinet, uh, we're seeing a, a, a difference there and a perhaps more grown-up politics. Although the shadow cabinet... Starbucks people, people know that their traditional voters, you know, what used to be called the respectable working classes, are very pro-priests. And they're the people who most suffer the consequences of crime. So they think a bunch of woke students in London uh, copying, you know, their counterparts in Seattle calling for the abolition of the police is absolute madness. And it is absolute madness. It will lose them more votes than anything. You know, Soft on crime. At least you can say this about Blair. One thing you knew about him, he was tough on crime and kept saying he was tough on crime. Tough on the and causes pointed, of crime. Yes, and the causes of crime. And appointed, you know, Blunkett and wanted to machine gun people. So <laughs> the, the London woke Labour crowd are mental and will destroy the Labour Party if they're allowed to push this kind of agenda. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's an inkling that they've sort of permeated the London mayoralty now with a story that broke on Friday. And Calgi, can you tell us a little bit more about what Sadiq is now saying about the police? Yeah, I mean, Sadiq is resulting to the most extreme sort of blackmail to try and fill a 500 million city hall funding gap. We've already seen him sacrifice, I think, 10% of his pay, you know, ridiculous PR uh, strategy. They're moving out of uh, the giant glass testicle by Tower Hill and going to East London, which is a fate that should befall no one. And now Sadiq Khan is threatening to cut £110 million from the 
police budget as well as 290 million from TfL's budget. We did quick uh, calculator sums on this. Labour's own figures from the 2019 election say that the average wage of a police officer is 30 grand, uh, 30,000 uh, pounds a year. That is 3,600 officers' wages Sadiq Khan is planning to cut. And at the same time, uh, last weekend we had the appalling attack in Reading. Over the last two nights, we've had these horrific scenes in Brixton and Notting Hill of police being attacked by out-of-control party-goers, protesters, whatever. I, you know, They're not entirely linked with the Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on with 22 police officers injured and now i know that he's trying to put pressure but this sort of you know uh, approach is is just disgraceful at the moment given the the wider context of uh, safety and and security in the city was it 20 or 30 police officers that were injured and, and violently attacked with sort of broken bottles yeah it's about 20 22 25 yeah. Twenty. Um, yeah. No, that's extraordinary. Sadiq is, is not stupid. He's not good. Sadiq is not stupid. He's uh, overspent. He's uh, been prolific with his budget, so he needs to get some more money in. And he's quite cleverly trying to rig it to his own voters to say uh, it's it's the it's the government. Central government is starving us of funds. It's Boris's fault. You don't have have more police. I mean, that's where he's going with this. This is not an accident. This is uh, risky politics. And he knows that the government will not want to, to surrender London to the mob. And he might well get some of the money he wants. Well, moving on from that depressing state of affairs, um, there's something that is good that was announced this week. Um, and that is the reopening of pubs. And it's pubs right across the country from the 4th of July that will be able to open their doors, which is news that is uh, marvellous for lots and lots of people across this country. But also, there's some specific news about the pubs in Westminster. Um, and one of, the, one of the most frequented pubs right next to Parliament is called uh, the Red Lion. And it's one that is often bustling with staffers and MPs uh, in the evenings. But there's some um, sad news about that, uh, Calgia, which, which you were investigating. Yeah, I've been referred to a couple of times as a pub correspondent over the past fortnight, and I, you know, I'll take that. Um, yeah, I've I've been very sadly told by the uh, by the red line that they're not planning on opening until around the end of July, uh, because Fullers are opening their pubs in stages, and the red line isn't uh, earmarked as one of those, which I think is a bit of a hit and a miss from Fullers. You'd think, given that it's their the pub of theirs frequented by you know the most powerful uh, theoretically people in the country that it would be a priority uh however there are alternatives we know that strangers the uh, mp's private bar with the terrace access is reopening from the uh, seven, uh 6th of july since stevens tavern uh right next to westminster tube station is opening on the seventh and of course uh the one we were all waiting for the marks of granby uh just around the corner from us 
uh, is also set to reopen well bang on time on the 4th. Don't forget the moon up on Whitehall, which is a Weatherspoons. And uh, we've got a voucher from Tim Martin, the owner of Weatherspoons, to go there because we did a story this week about uh, the one app that will save us from, and help us recover from the coronavirus, which is the Weatherspoons app for which you could order your drink socially distanced to your table without leaving. We have stress tested this app. The Weatherspoons app is a, a genius um, uh, piece of technology, well used and well tested by Tom in particular. You can uh, order drinks, food, breakfast, you name it. Uh, drinks for the girls over there that you're too uh, apprehensive to smoke to. I can thoroughly recommend it. Uh, I hope that gets us another voucher. Do you think Tim will see that? <laughs> we'll do a Weatherspoon story a week for more vouchers. <laughs> I see, get on board with that sponsor. We're very, very open with, with how this website is funded um, and how our drinks <laughs> are <faithful. moves. laughs> Um, but but Calgary, it's not. It's uh, whilst we've been delighted with Weatherspoons, um, and people on our side of the political divide have been very very supportive of the chain in recent years. There's been a bit of a, a tussle amongst left wingers with regard to whether Weatherspoons is a socially acceptable enterprise. Can you enlighten us as to what that's all about? Yeah, of course. I mean, you can. Uh, probably understand why uh, Weatherspoons is one of the most politically contentious uh, chains in Britain, but given uh, Tim has been one of the most vocal CEOs of anything in support of Brexit and posing with Boris, he's very political. Uh, and the left also have some issues with the way that uh, the chain uh, went about uh, employees or whatever uh, during the lockdown. So now there's this big debate about whether uh, you should boycott weather speeds because that is the automatic response of some of them. However, <laughs> the official um, uh, sort of uh, bo uh, movement for weather spoons employees, uh, which, called, which is called Spoon Strike, uh, has asked people not to boycott with the spoons because even though they might want to it ends up hitting the pay packet of Weatherspoon's employees it results in in lower footfall in lower wages uh and it actually hurts the very people uh that they are uh, purporting to help but of course that wasn't a, a good enough explanation for some hardliners who are uh, who have compared it uh those people saying that we need to carry on going to support those uh, hard-working employees. They've called that attitude Stockholm Syndrome and they've also compared it to like uh, don't boycott South Africa during apartheid because the poor will suffer most. Um, so that is the that is the ideological struggle on the left at the moment. It's whether we we help ordinary working people or we stick to our ideology. It's that whole Corbynism versus centrism argument we've seen for the last five years. Amazing. Of course, the greatest political debates of our time revolve around pubs. I think that is uh, a, a, a good thing. It shows, true, it shows that... Yeah, true student politics that yeah. the left are always accused of. It's, it's so a does brilliant, this mean I'm going almost... to see Owen Jones in the pub or not? I'm not, I'm not quite clear. Well, is, is Owen Jones he's welcome, to, to, he's welcome to come along. 
more than welcome to come along. But he'll have to pay for the drinks okay. and we'll leech off him. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can have some of our voucher off Tim. <laughs> There's another left-wing activist, aside from Owen Jones, who was in the news this week. Uh, this is someone who it was a, a vocal spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion, who appeared on the Andrew Neil show, uh, spe speaking up the virtues of Extinction Rebellion. But now she's left the movement and has sort of seen the light on the UK's energy needs. Now, Paul, can you tell us a bit about what this story is all about? Yes, this is, uh, you'll have to look at the story itself to find out the name, because I can't remember her name, uh, but she- It's something like Andrew's Zion though, or Zion City. Lights. Zion Lights, how can you forget a name like that? Yes, it should be up in lights. Yes, Zion Lights, sorry. She's seen the light. Andrew Neil said to her when he was on the, she was on the show, um, if you really cared about carbon emissions, maybe you support nuclear. Well, she's gone away, read a few books, maybe done some science, and realised that this is the right attitude. That actually, nuclear is a low-carbon, high-density energy source. It's, it's the only way we're going to get, uh, go forward in a low-carbon environment. And now she's become a lobbyist for the nuclear industry. Fancy that. Well, um, I, think, I think there's something admirable. She says she still holds to her, her green agenda, but she now sees that nuclear energy is part of the mix. And funny enough, the father of the Gaia theory of, um, of our planet also has become a nuclear order. Um, one of the founders of Greenpeace can't, says that nuclear is the way forward. There is a faction inside the green movement that is sensible, does understand science, and realises that windmills are not going to supply all our needs in the future. Good luck. That doesn't stop a very, very vocal part of them, of course, viciously opposing uh, nuclear energy. And I, th I think there's probably two strains of this. There's the people that genuinely think that uh, our energy needs can be met without nuclear energy at all, which I think is bonkers. And then there's the other half who almost don't want our energy needs to be met because they see a virtue in going back to a life where we don't have video conferencing and cars and planes and trains and, and that we don't have the sort of 21st century lifestyle. They want us to live off our own allotments and, and live in our own mud go back to caves they find it like an attractive life yeah the net zero industrial crowd. revolution like i mean there are some people who genuinely believe that quality of life in the 1600s is better than quality of life today or that back when people sort of did back-breaking work toiling for a living instead of being able to sort of you know sit in a chair and write write some words or or operate machinery rather than doing the grinding yourself i mean there are people that genuinely think that that's a better way that society should run and that is an incredibly dangerous almost mainstream political point of view that i don't think there's been enough uh, exploration of or condemnation of talking of uh, backwards communities still living in their own dirt uh, wales had some really bad news this week which is that uh, uh, bbc are going to cut 6% of their Cardiff workforce uh, in an attempt to make 4.5 million in savings. Now, I wouldn't uh, ordinarily be opposed 
uh, to seeing some uh, BBC fiscal prudency. But the uh, decision to make £4.5 million in savings came the day after the BBC had announced a £100 million programme over three years to increase diversity and inclusivity. Uh, and I think we made the point that uh, it must have stung quite a bit for those employees who lost their jobs uh, to have heard that the day before uh, and wonder whether the BBC has got its uh, public funding spending priorities in order. Right, just say those numbers again because that's extraordinary the amount of money they're splurging on one hand and then cutting on the other. Yeah, so that's what, so they're spending £100 million to increase diversity and uh, they are attempting to save £4.5 million uh, by cutting those 60 jobs in Wales. And the other key point was that uh, they've announced a £100 million uh, splurge on increasing diversity. Uh, this year, Tony Hall has said that the BBC need to make £125 million of additional savings. Uh, I wouldn't call myself an economist, but I think I can make some of these numbers work uh, into the BBC's favour if just spent slightly differently. You could oh, redefine the Welsh as an ethnic minority. Yeah, in which well, case I mean, it's an even worse start to their uh, diversity programme. Oh, yeah. Technically, technically yeah. the Welsh are an ethnic minority, aren't they? They're a protected uh, group within the United Kingdom. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah, easy. Yeah. I mean, BBC, if you want to hire us, we can do some pro bono work for you here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think we should probably move on from the BBC because it, whilst it is fun to bash that corporation, we could do it literally all day. Um, so we're going to move on to another titanic moment of politics, and that is, of course, the Liberal Democrat leadership election, which is still going on and is running on until August. Uh, late August, we will have the delight of the fight between now the two confirmed candidates, confirmed just this week, Leila Moran and Sered Davy. Um, and Leila Moran got herself into a bit of hot water this week, being forced to delete a late night tweet um, that, that was almost libelous towards Robert Jenrick, suggesting that he had personal gain out of uh, dealings over development, out of that big scandal story that just keeps on rolling on uh, week to week. Um, but it seemed like she wasn't entirely on top of the detail of it and thought that he somehow had a personal donation rather than a donation going to the Conservative Party. Two very different things. And she uh, deleted that tweet the following morning. And it's not the first time she's made an error uh, in late night tweeting, because of course, it was only a week ago that uh, she started tweeting out uh, some Star Wars gobbledygook um, that was then roundly criticised by a lot of her compatriots on the left as, as racist. Um, so this is not the best start <laughs> to the likely winner of the, lead, of the Lib leadership campaign. I All am the, really the, looking forward to her leading the Liberals. I really am. It's going to be fun. All the crucial debates are going on of Star Wars racism. And, and uh, I think she also wants to abolish the Treasury. 
uh, and uh, Ed Davey is basically stealing Rebecca Long Bailey's uh, green industrial revolution policy and planning to spend 125 million quid. Uh, it's just bonkers. Um, I'm I'm starting to miss you know these great figures such as Tim Farron, you know, the heady heights of his leadership days. They see they seem a golden period in comparison. Back when they had one more MP than they do now after that ill-sighted uh, election campaign, which of course, of course, we have the Lib Dems to thank for the 2019 election because it was their idea to band together with the SNP to <laughs> yeah. make the parliamentary arithmetic work in the first place. Yeah, and of course, if those, uh, if the Labour Tory figure had been narrower, uh, the majority would have been substantially lower. It was both the Brexit Party and uh, the Lib Dems in various constituencies, in various ways, that uh, divided some of the vote and allowed those uh, Tories to squeak through with uh, majorities in their seats. So massive congratulations to the Liberal Democrats for the last decade worth of political engineering. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I mean, we should probably move on from the silly side of politics to something a lot more serious, which is a development in a story or a case that uh, Guido Fawkes has been running a number of stories on. And Kauki, I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about a parliamentary investigation that uh, began this week. Yes, of course. Um, uh, Rob Roberts, who has gone from uh, a nobody to uh, a scandal, really, over the course of lockdown, uh, uh, we revealed this week that Parliament is now uh, has now launched a formal investigation uh, into his behaviour in relationship to a, a parliamentary staffer who, uh, for those who aren't aware, you submit a report and then the Commissioner's Office look into the report, see if there's grounds for an investigation, many of which are turned down uh, and the most serious ones are taken up as an investigation. And this now has been taken up uh, as an investigation without going into some of the details um, we are aware that there are some very senior figures in parliament who have been uh, appalled at the allegations piling up against the guy um, the investigation will run its course I know there's quite a lot of substantial evidence on all sides so we'll have to see how that plays out but the Tories are remaining completely tight-lipped over it at the moment Right, well, we're running out of time on this podcast, and that would be a very dour way to end uh, our 10th episode. So um, I wonder, Paul, if you could tell us about yeah. another podcast that you're about to I start on have... the media. Yes, I want to plug the coming Media Guido podcast. So over the last uh, month, we've run a number of media stories. We always have done. Um, but these, these three have struck a chord with me because the first one was about the times editor uh breaking lockdown rules with rachel johnson the prime minister's sister then we had a story about a famous tv presenter in a nazi uniform and um and we had a third story which was that this in this generic scandal that's going on one editor the editor of the mirror was sat at the same table as Jenrick and uh, Richard Desmond, the media proprietor, who is an investor, people didn't know this, in the media, uh, and owns 8% of the Mirror Group. Yet the Mirror didn't cover the story half as much as you'd expect when it's a story about billionaires and cease. And the thing that these three all had in common 
is the media doesn't report on the media. So I want to do a podcast that goes where the media doesn't go and talks about themselves. So uh, I will see how it goes. So I plan to have some guests. I plan to have guests from um, academia and from the media itself. I don't think it's going to be easy to get guests when uh, it could be career damaging, but we'll give it a go. Um, uh, I did a survey, a very scientific survey on, on Twitter, and out of 2,500 people, about 71% of them said they wanted the podcast. So I expect you all to subscribe to it when we start it probably next week. Great. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap up for today. Thank you ever so much for sticking through. And it, Paul, did you get wet at the bottom of your garden or are you just about okay? No, the sun's come out, but my dog has rolled in something. So I've got a lovely smell at my feet. <laughs> Amazing. The, the trials that we go through. Uh, in order to produce this content. Well, thank you so much for watching and we will see you again for our 11th episode the same time next week. Stay alert, stay safe, goodbye. Goodbye.